Would you all join me in prayer? Heavenly Father Yahweh, as we bow our hearts and minds before you on this Sabbath day, we ask for your strength and guidance as we go through your word, try to understand more of you, and help us to keep these things in mind, help us to build on our knowledge that will in turn affect our spiritual life. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll bless those here, those that are listening from afar, and that those that have a special need that would be their Yahweh Rapha, their healer, and the answer to their issues and their prayers. We thank you for your guidance. We ask for your continued watch over your people. Keep them strong in the faith through these perilous times. And we ask also that you'll guide each of us in your word as we might grow in spirit and knowledge for all those things you have for us one day that Yasha would say, welcome, thou good and faithful servant, enter into life everlasting. This prayer and petition we ask then in Yasha's name, hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, each, uh, each Sabbath we come together, we hear of the different people around, around the world who are tuning in to this message. I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I don't hear much about those in Europe. You notice that? Every so often we might hear from uh, the Netherlands, maybe a Scandinavian country, but now you'd think a nation speaking English like Great Britain would have a number of people tuning in. You know, English is the uh, de facto language of all those European countries. You'd think that you'd hear more from them. I read once where their loss of biblical faith, so to speak, is because of two world wars they had to go through and the suffering that they had to suffer. and had an impact on their belief in the scriptures. I don't know if that's true or not. It certainly makes a lot of sense. We hadn't had to go through what they went through. But, you know, Israel went through a lot, too. And uh, they were constantly, we talked about it in Bible study, the Syrians, the Babylonians, constantly attacking. They didn't lose their faith. They sometimes went down pretty hard, but they always came back up. Well, I was... I grew up in a uh, denominational church, and I remember there was a couple times that uh, my parents would announce, well, we're, we're not going to church this morning for whatever reason. For them, it had to be pretty significant. Uh, and let's just say I was not disappointed. Uh, I wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't care about the Bible. I did. I had a uh, a love for Yahweh and his word. They had instilled in me uh, a great deal of love for his word. But my lackluster response was mostly defensible since the church service we were attending was basically dead anyway. I didn't learn anything, hardly. Uh, the sermons were milk toast, filled with sweet nothings, empty calories, from which I gained nothing, Hardly. The denomination never encouraged Bible study. No one ever even brought their Bibles. I was hardly ever challenged to change my ways, conform to Yahweh's commands. 
Shouldn't the goal of the word of the Bible be to turn from this world, the message to turn from this world and to tune in to Yahweh and the world to come? Shouldn't that be the overriding message? We were never told the truth about the Sabbath, the feasts, the commandments in general. I didn't have any clue. I thought Sunday was it because that's where we went on Sunday. So that had to be the day of worship. I didn't know about different things like we talked about the gospel, you know, the gospel of redemption and so forth, but we didn't hear about the other side. The other side was the gospel of the kingdom, which you hear over and over and over in the New Testament. Yahshua talked about it a lot. Look it up sometime in your strongs. Look up gospel of the kingdom. It's all over the place. We didn't ever hear about it. We didn't know what happened after this life. We just thought we automatically, through osmosis or something, drifted off into heaven to sit around and uh, sit on clouds and compare wings. I didn't know, you know, what, uh, what this life was really all about. We were never informed. The minister often taught about going to heaven, not as a place of rulership for certain, but just because that's what he was taught, I guess. I was clueless about what the kingdom was, that we will one day, if we're faithful, if we're worthy, to be taken into the kingdom to rule under Yahshua the Messiah and rule on this earth. Yahshua says, where I am, you will be also. Where was he? Where was he? Where will he be when he comes back to earth? He's going to be on earth. His, he shall, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. And that's where he will be and stay. He's not going back to heaven. So when he raises us, we'll be with him on this earth. I was never told that. I never understood that. Pretty amazing when I came to that truth. I came to believe that church going was only socializing and uh, hearing cute inspirationals. That's about it. Today, if you teach obedience to the word, you better stand back and prepare for some major blowback. That's the last thing most people want to hear. Like at Burger King, they can have it their way, but not Yahweh's way. Yahweh's way. So to make their lives easy, they abdicate their sacred duty and just go along to get along. Truth is now in a sterile environment where it really doesn't matter one way or another. For most, the common reaction to the way of truth, as Yahshua taught, has been met with resistance, and we're seeing more and more of it. Who knows what the present situation is going to end up with? The genesis of this rebelliousness, of course, was found in Satan's own defiance. Started out the very beginning, he was defiant and tried to get Adam and Eve to join in his little cadre of defiance. Well, it ultimately ended up in Scripture. Speaking of seven assemblies, seven assemblies that teach a lot about what Yahweh wants as well as avoiding what Yahweh hates. So I want to talk about that today. Look at a few. Well, look at all of them, basically. But go into each of them and find out what what gives? What's going on? These were active ministries, active assemblies. Most, not all, were 
begun by Paul as he traveled around up in the northern uh, areas there, Macedonia and Greece, Rome, and all of their, those places. But uh, we read in verse 7 of Revelation 2 that why we need to read and heed. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the assemblies, to him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. There's ears that need to be hearing. We see what was good in some of these assemblies, but also what was seriously wrong with most of them. Most of them had issues. Why? Why couldn't they just get it right? Well, here they are in their scriptural order with their defining features. Ephesus, Revelation 2, 1 to 7. The assembly that forsook its first love. What was that? It says, I know your works and your labor and, and your patience and how you canst not bear them which are evil and have tried them which say they are apostles and are not. So these people had an effort to get their preaching and teaching right. And they didn't like evil. They didn't like the bad things going on. And you've borne and have patience and for my name's sake has labored and have not fainted. They didn't give up. They just kept going. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of its place, except you repent. They did something serious. They have to lose their first love. What was it? But thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We're going to hear this again later on, another group, which I also hate. Having chiding them, chided them in verses 4 and 5, he now comes back to commend them again. They're not entirely washed up. He gives them a final commendation. They hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which Yahshua also hates. Roman church historian Eusebius, in his ecclesiastical history, writes that Nicholas, the founder of the Nicolaitan movement, came to believe that the only way to grow spiritually was to consider the physical world unimportant. Does it sound like something? Does it ring any bells that you know of? In this way, he could focus entirely on the spiritual. His fundamental doctrine appears to have been the flesh must be treated with contempt. He was an ascetic and an early Gnostic, Gnosticism. Gnosticism didn't believe in the physical world. They had a higher knowledge, Gnostic, no, Gnosis, knowledge, of spiritual things. They dwelt in the spiritual. And that's what uh, this doctrine was all about. He was a Gnostic. Because the flesh is unimportant, even contemptible, the flesh is of no consequence in his teachings. Didn't matter. Sounds as if they could be a good thing, but wait, he takes a left turn now because it didn't matter what you did physically in his philosophy which then led to open licentiousness and many, many other sins. Sins committed brazenly with impunity. And this is what Yahshua hated. 
The Nicolaitans thought that spiritual life, growth, and even salvation occur in the soul. So it doesn't matter if you indulge in all the fleshly desires you want. There was no impact, you see, on the sin affecting their soul. There was that, that was the disconnect. Somewhere they lost the connection. At some point, Nicolaitans evolved from a, an ascetic philosophy, you know, of uh, don't worry about things, you know, those aren't important, to a licentious one, and, and Yahshua just hated it. Do you suppose this idea has traveled down through the millennia to affect major church teachings today? When you hear people say, that is works righteousness. You don't have to do anything. You think? I think it does. I think there was a connection there. Everything is spiritual. Everything is faith alone. There's nothing to do. Because do means something physical, right? Mostly. The first love was their agape, their fervency. They were at first resolute in their walk. They couldn't take evilness, and they worked hard for the truth. But then they started to drift. It happens when an assembly stops preaching and teaching the word. That's where it starts. Then we go to Smyrna, number two, Revelation 2.8. The persecuted assembly. And the angel assembly in Smyrna write, these things saith the first. By the way, isn't it interesting that each of these assemblies has an angel? I guess maybe it's just the reporter. I don't know. I don't know how much they were active, but, uh, but anyway, the angel was telling us about this assembly. It says, I know your works in tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you might be tried. This assembly had people who were suffering for their faith. I mean, really suffering. Thrown into prison for it. You have tribulation. You shall have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. That has always inspired me. No matter what happens, brethren, if you have to give up the ultimate sacrifice, your life for Yahweh, you have a promise of a crown. A crown of life. He that has an ear, ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the assemblies. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. There it is. There's the promise. Smyrna means myrrh from muron, an aromatic gum that you have to crush to get the, the fragrance from it. And that's what was happening at Smyrna. They're being crushed. This assembly had to live under the iron rod of Roman rule and persecution of believers. We don't find anything they were doing scripturally wrong. It's a letter of encouragement to these poor people. Pergamum, Revelation 2.12. The assembly needing repentance from many false doctrines. Now, these people got problems. So the angel assembly in Pergamos write, these things says he that has the sharp sword with two edges. I know your works and where you dwell and even where Satan's seat is. And you hold fast my name and has not denied my faith. Well, there you go. They hold fast to his name and have not denied his faith. Even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells. However, I got a few things against you. 
Well, basically, he's got a few things against some of the few people in it, in that assembly, because you have those there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, one of his, his teachings, and to commit fornication. I guess it was okay. Maybe he was a Gnostic. Maybe, maybe he was one of those Nicolaitans. I don't know. But they were adhering to that teaching. So has you also have that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, which we've already seen. He says, repent or else I will come unto you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Pergamos means marriage. In Greek, assembly, they were an assembly of worldly alliance. It was in the era of Constantine. They were making alliances with all the pagans. Constantine. They were glorified in uh, in uh, many Christian churches, as if he, he, you know, he brought Christianity. There is evidence the guy was never, ever converted. Some say he was baptized on his de- at his deathbed, but there's never ever evidence of it. In fact, he had to call all these church councils. Was it twenty some church councils to figure out doctrine because he didn't know. So he brought all these bishops from around the world. They came and they. It was, it was a vote. It was a vote by men what they're going to believe. So you have the Apostles' Creed and all that, which has been changed like a dozen times. They still call it the Apostles' Creed. But anyway, uh, th- these, are, these, were, these were pagans that he was amalgamating to the church, his, his church, basically, what it amounted to. Even with the majority of the Pergamus assembly, we still see some in Pergamus gravitating to false, even heinous teachings. How could that happen? Again, it's got to be bad leadership. Compromisers producing compromising people. Then we have number four, Thyatira, Revelation 2.18, the assembly with a false prophetess. I know your works and charity and service and faith and your patience and your works and the last shall be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. You suffer that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed to idols. Was this a real person? I believe so. I believe Jezebel. We have evidence in other places that she was a real person. But also in scripture, woman represents a false religion. False religion. False worship could also refer to a church being infiltrated with false doctrines and teachings. An assembly, I should say. Church, as we know, comes from Circe, a pagan goddess who, uh, well, actually she stands on the top of our capital, by the way, but uh, in that, that uh, form of a, of a sculpture. Anyway, uh, so this is, this is uh, she, they were taking in false teachings of different religions. Next is Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. This is the sleepy assembly. Tired old Sardis. And to the angel assembly in Sardis write, these things says he that has the seven spirits of Elohim and the seven stars... 
I know your works, that you have a name, that you, that you live and are dead. You're alive, but there's nothing happening. You're going nowhere. You're spinning your wheels. He says, in fact, uh, you need to strengthen the things which remain that are about ready to die. You're just there in form, but no function in your worship. I have not found your works perfect before Elohim. Remember, therefore, how you received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come on you as a thief, and you shall not know what hour I come upon you. Well, we don't know either, right? Not even Yasha knows the day he's going to return. You have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. How often you heard somebody say, well, you, you, know, you can't earn. You can't earn your salvation. You can't earn it. Nothing you can do. Well, there is nothing essentially that you can do, but you can be found worthy of it. You can be chosen. You can be among the called out, and then from that group, the ones that are chosen. You can be those by being worthy of it. That's how the Bible talks about uh, any kind of uh, way that you're found, found uh, uh, favored by Yahweh, if you are worthy. And then, of course, is the Philadelphia Assembly, Revelation 3.7. To the, assembly of the uh, angel of the assembly in Philadelphia, write, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. He's going to review a little bit here. Behold, I've set you before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength and has kept my word. Kept my word. Haven't vacillated. Apparently, I got rid of the ones that couldn't do it. Maybe. Ones that uh, were recalcitrant. They simply were not going to listen. And so uh, the assembly was kept pure. And have not denied my name. Kept my word. Not denied my name. Hopefully we can aspire to that too, right? Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my patience. I will also keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. You know, we look for salvation ultimately one day. We also look for protection, don't we? He says he's going to take his people when things really fire up. He's going to take his people on the wings of an eagle into the wilderness to protect them for three and a half years. This is what he's talking about here. I will keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. Him that overcomes, will I make a pillar in the temple of my Elohim, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my Elohim and the name of the city of my Elohim, which is New Jerusalem. The faithful are going to have the name of New Jerusalem on, their, on, their, uh, on them. New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my Elohim, and I will write upon him my new name. Yazidkinu, I believe. 
Yahweh righteousness. They're going to have a new name. That is the Philadelphia Assembly. That's the one all assemblies should aspire to. They keep the word and don't deny his name. His name is his identity. And we they always talk about honoring his name, but they never tell you what his name is. Is his name Mr.? Is his name Sir? Is his name King? All titles, they aren't his name. Messiah, that's not even a name, but it's an anointed. But that's not his name, and that's not what we're told to call upon. So anyway, uh, then we got Laodicea. They're, they're not dead. They're just kind of hanging on by a shred, hanging on with the shoestring. They're the lukewarm assembly. They go through the motions. They come, they do their thing, and they go home. Kind of reminds me of what I was doing when I was a kid, going to church. The angel assembly of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of Elohim. I know your works, and you aren't cold or hot. You're not dead, but you're not on fire either. You're somewhere in the middle. You're lukewarm. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I can counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich. Gold tried in the fire. What does that mean? If you're tried in the fire, you're being purified, right? That's what gold they put it in the fire, the impurities float away, and you got pure gold left. That's what he wants. That you may be rich in white raiment, and that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. These were a basically a do-nothing assembly and had no desire to do anything. In Luke twenty two twelve, Yahshua said to Peter and to all believers. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And now listen to these words. When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. I'll say that again. Yahshua said, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Let's pause here for a moment. All of us are given this responsibility, brethren. Our job is to help and guide others in the assembly, those who need it, those who are asking for help, whatever their need might be, to strengthen them in the spiritual way and in the, in the word. It's not easily done sitting at home on your lazy boy. How do you strengthen the brethren that way? Week after week, are we not commanded to assemble each Sabbath to strengthen the brethren? Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. How can you do that? Close communication. Gathering together. And so much more as you see the day approaching. It's going to get more serious, brethren. Seriouser and seriouser as we see the end coming. This isn't the time to back off. This is a time to get involved. 
exhorting one another, ties in with strengthening the brethren. Is the day approaching? You bet. Look around. Every day we see it approaching, don't we? Don't need to look too far. Should we not be exhorting one another even more? Should we not be in touch even more, worshiping together? Or are we going to hide our light under a bushel like the uh, lukewarm assembly did? For wasting our time and talents. We're going to be rewarded accordingly. I mean, it's all on you. You know, if you want to be that way, then be that way. It's going to be according to your works. Your reward. Now, I know distance separates and people can't come together. That's one thing. But, you know, they can come together on the feasts. We're told the pilgrim feasts are three times of the year. We're supposed to come together. Are we doing it? Many are, but a lot more are not. I ask again, how can we strengthen our brethren when we're missing? It's everyone's job to help the brethren. That's what Yahshua said. It's not just for a minister's work. Oh, go talk to him. Get involved. How do those hundreds of hours spent alone profit the body? Isn't that hiding your talent, as Yahshua talked about in the parable? What are the gifts of the Spirit for in 1 Corinthians 12? To build the body. You can't do that when you're AWOL. Does Yahweh bless the chronic MIAs or missing in assemblies? Incidentally, what's more serious? Fear of a virus or fear of Yahweh? Philadelphia was the one that got it totally right, and therefore they have an open door to Yahweh's blessings. The most blistering rebuke is leveled at this Laodicean assembly. Each of these other assemblies had some redeeming value, but nothing positive is said about Laodicea. They are tares without wheat. Lukewarm and lukewarm fence sitters are useless in Yahweh's mind and his eyes. Therefore, Yahshua said, I will spew you out of my mouth unless you repent and change. The spineless lukewarmers play both sides. They surrender to sin at convenient times and error, but present themselves as truth seekers at other times. Kind of sounds like a politician, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Double dealers who believe they can have it both ways. I believe Laodicea is mentioned last because lukewarm is at the center of all the other combined defects. If they weren't lukewarm, they wouldn't fall into these traps. Lukewarm is often what happens when we just go through the motions as an assembly or as individuals. Today we see a growing lack of sound and solid Bible teaching. The result is ignorant, ignorance, weak, com compromising. Those who won't take a stand they, they, for some reason. But we can't allow that. True believers, even if we are the last ones standing, stand or not, rest assured we will stand in judgment before Yahshua the Messiah. Always have that in the front of your mind in this life. Someday you're going to stand before Yahshua and he's going to review all you did in this life. If you're not in the first resurrection, that is. First resurrection, you're already, you know, there's no more death. But for those who 
don't understand the truth, there's going to be given a chance. Yahweh has no desire to, that all, that anyone should uh, be condemned or fall away. He wants everybody. So you have to be able to make a discernment, to make a choice. Is this what I want to do? Or is this not what I want to do? And then you're going to be judged by that choice. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absence, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of Yahweh. Whoa. Knowing the terror of Yahweh. That's a pretty strong word for a pretty strong, mighty one. We persuade men. But we are made manifest unto Elohim, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.10, by the way, if you want to read it later. Study it. But we're designing our eternal life now. Think about it. Everything we do. Unless things start to change radically and more have the courage to preach the word, not just cotton candy, the word will in time lose its impact on people's lives and be lost in the mist. Yahshua saw it coming. He issued a stark warning about the state of truth before his return, Luke 18, 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith or the faith on the earth? He knows. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. And people are going to be less and less interested. Interesting, less and less on their own salvation. Maybe becoming more and more like Europe. Everywhere. I mean, you know, the United States has been the world leader in publishing and sending Bibles to the world. We've, we've been Yahweh's spokesman for the Bible, this nation. Someday, it'll not be that way. We're still, you know, not... It used to be the Bible's number one bestseller. I guess it still is around the world. And uh, we're doing our little part uh, that way with the uh, study Bible. By the way, <laughs> this came to mind. I got a letter this week uh, from a prisoner in Missouri, by the way, who uh, caught on to the truth. He said, I found your Bible, your second edition, uh, of all places in the wastebasket. And he said, I was dumbfounded by what I found and started reading and studying. He said, he's on fire for the truth. Isn't it amazing how Yahweh works? They say they, uh, the work in the Philippines started when a tract blew across a path and somebody picked it up, sacred name tract, and started reading it. And believe me, there's hundreds and hundreds of believers in the Philippines. Their assemblies are big and they're growing. Yahweh has a way to get the truth out, even in a trash can. What are the arguments today against obedience to the Ten Commandments and other biblical law? They say, well, salvation is not of works, but of faith and grace. So with this mindset, literally, what do the Sabbath, feasts, and Ten Commandments matter if the physical is not part of the spiritual and part of salvation? What do they matter? Of course, they matter because they were kept all the way through in the Bible. The Sabbath, the Feast, the Ten Commandments from start to finish. And, you know, 
It uh, continues on today for the faithful. Today we see doctrines of Nicolaitans everywhere. Salvation for them rests in the ethereal, amorphous mind and soul leading to the Laodicean assembly. Nothing. Laziness. Untouched, unaffected by everyday actions and works. In Ephesus, Nicolaitanism was hated. It was one of the better assemblies listed. So what happened? What happened? Well, the indictment was that in Ephesus, the assembly had lost their first love, their first zeal. Like this, this prisoner who has this zeal, he's all alone, but he found Yahweh's word. And he has a zeal for it. Let's pray he doesn't ever give it up. Let's pull this down to you and me. Your first love was literally the love of the truth, right? That's why you're here. You wanted to discover the truth. You had enough of all these other six, five assemblies, and there's problems, uh, enough of that type of thing. It showed in your passion and how you couldn't get enough. I know I talk to people all the time on the phone, and they, I, you know, they, they say, I just don't get it. It's so clear. It's so plain. It's right there in Scripture. I talk to people, and they go, uh-huh, so what? I just can't believe it. They don't understand. Well, I just tell them they're not called. Maybe they will be called someday. Right now, they're not. But you are called, so you go on with the, with the Word. Forward with the sacred Scriptures, where that song or phrase was back in the old days. But they have a, a passion for Yahweh. Over time, it might lose some luster, lose a little bit of its impact. Here was an entire assembly that still held to the fundamentals, but their passion had suffered through time. They didn't keep it up. It was now just the mechanical motion of the faith. The Ephesians, for all their Vim and Verve at the start, we're now heading for the lukewarm, passionate, tepid attitude that makes Yahshua sick, lukewarm, for which he will spew anyone with it out of his mouth, as he warned the Laodiceans. It happened to the nation of Israel over and over, not only lukewarm, but they would turn from Yahweh. In Jeremiah chapter 2, Yahweh tells Israel, I remember the way it used to be, and it isn't that way anymore among you. I found you and I took you and embraced you and married you. I remember the time of your beauty. I remember the time of your love. I remember the time of your betrothal. I remember. This is what he's saying here. The honeymoon ended in Israel. The honeymoon ended in Ephesus as well. The love cooled in Ephesus, which is the forerunner of spiritual apathy. Indifference decays into a love for the world, then compromise with evil, corruption, death, and judgment. Were they still doctrinal? Yes. Disciplined? Yes. Hardworking? Yes. But their heart wasn't in it. They weren't going the right direction. The Ephesus assembly was born of a sewer of powerful pagan idolatry, and they got out of it. They had the best spiritual leadership. They had an intense love of Yahweh in the start, which has now grown cold. 
So often spiritual decline comes from forgetting. This next generation doesn't know what they, as well as we, went through to get where we are now. They don't get it. Personally, as an assembly, to get to this point, there's a new generation in Ephesus. The same with America. The first generations are mostly gone. They still have a legacy of strong tradition, but the intense love that springs from trials and testings and sacrifices waning. We see Yahweh angry with the six assemblies here and warns of bad things to come unless they change. And we can all change. Everybody can change if they have a heart and willingness to do so. But the last one, Laodicean, is a bit different. He says he will spew them out of his mouth. Their passive, lifeless, lukewarm, compromising attitude is going to be their destruction. What an indictment. It doesn't work with Yahweh to play both sides. You either take a permanent stand, as he has commanded, or you face his wrath. Who are you trying to please, man or Messiah, your future judge? If you're on fire, wonderful. If you're cold, time to warm up to the word. You have some serious changes to make. But if you're lukewarm, everything is just kind of blurred. Everything is all the same. It's just just not distinct. And thinking Yahweh's going to accept that. You either do or you don't with Yahweh. You know, in a court, speaking of a judge, an attorney will ask a witness a question, and the wit- that will start a narrative with the, with, the, uh, with the witness. Well, you see, because he says, uh-uh, yes or no. It's either yes or no. Give me the answer. I don't want to hear stories. That's just like what Yahweh demands here with his word. It's either yes or no. Are you going to compromise or are you going to go all the way? We had a man early on who was a nurse at a hospital, required him to work every other Sabbath. I told him. Uh, he thought he was justified in doing that. I said, no, you're not. You keep the Sabbath holy. There's no, there's no workarounds. There's no exceptions. You keep the Sabbath holy. That's what it says. Fourth commandment. Read it. Well, he tried to work around it. Something the Talmud said it could do. What? <laughs> You're going to rely on man? Come on. I told him either keep the Sabbath or you don't. Yahweh doesn't accept partial obedience, anemic effort. You don't bend his laws to conform to you. You conform to you to keep his laws. I and my family, when, we, uh, when the time comes, and it's coming fast, by the way. You know, the, the uh, Passover and unleavened bread we were talking about this morning, it's, it's coming fast. I mean, we're already halfway, mostly half, past halfway through January, and it looks like it is going to be an early Passover toward the end of March, as we have on our calendar. So uh, anyway, uh, when we keep a feast, we keep like... Seven-day feast, we keep all seven days. Not half a feast, and then go home or come late. We keep the feast, as we're commanded to do. Yahweh didn't number them off, didn't give us the exact number of days, thinking it's, well, you just pick and choose whatever, whichever days you want. No, 
He gave it to us so that we would keep those specific days. In the fall, of course, with unleavened bread, or with the tabernacles, it's uh, eight days. Works always reveal what's inside a person. What you do shows what you are. What's in your heart. They say the, the measure of man is what he does when nobody's looking. That's the measure you're always looking for. Yahshua said in Matthew 7.20, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. He didn't say not by what their mouth says. He says by their fruits. What they do, you're going to know them. You're going to know their heart. Romans 2.6 uh, says, flies in the face of Nicolaitan doctrine in the modern context as well. Yahshua will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. By your deeds, what you do. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the word, but obey unrighteousness, you're going to look forward to indignation and wrath, he says. His wrath. At the end of the address of each of these seven assemblies, Yahweh says in a repeat refrain to listen to what the Spirit says about each one. I'm telling you your problems. I'm telling you your solutions. Hear me out and listen. Do it. I had a math teacher, was it? 10th grade, 10th grade. His favorite expression when people say, I I can't figure out this problem, I don't don't know what to do. He says, do it. (laughs) That's what he would say. So you had to figure it out one way or another. And uh, this is what Yahweh says, you know, don't question me, do it, do it. To Ephesus, it's a little different. But the same result. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Uh, The tree of life was in the Garden of Eden. And so long as they kept eating of that tree of life, they had life. Right? Death hadn't entered into the world at that point. Sin hadn't come yet. With sin came death. But as long as they were eating the tree of life, they had life. But it was, you know, a regular thing you had to do. Well, we obey Yahweh. It's a regular thing we do. It's for life. We're not working out anything. But we are hoping to have his blessings and be counted worthy. That's all. We're just conforming to his way. His standard of life, his standard of living, his his laws, his statutes, his judgments. That defines him. He wants us to be like him, like Yahshua. The two are the same in that regard. They speak the same thing. They act the same way. Who knows? They might even look alike in the spirit realm. I don't know. But it's a daily thing. It's a constant thing. Obedience is a a seven-day-a-week exercise, not a one-and-done thing for one hour on a day considered the Sabbath. Yahshua gave up his life on a tree so that we can have life through freedom from sin and its penalty. His blood was shed at Passover. So we take of him in the emblems of that blood, the emblems, the blood emblems. 
so that we can have life as well. That shed blood that represents. Fascinating are the parallels that strengthen the importance of observances like Passover and other upcoming observances of the word. They're not just things to keep us occupied. They're Yahweh's command. They're Yahweh's command. They have real truth for us who have not lost our first love. Well, I hope these words are encouraging to you and uh, let us keep them in mind as Yahweh gave it in his word. Keep these things forever in your heart that you might be found worthy one day. That's our whole desire, right, brethren? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We have a desire to find that everlasting life. And what a day it'll be. Hallelujah.